0: our Bibles uh, to the book of Romans. We're studying the book of Romans on Sunday morning. We come to Romans chapter 5. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles, and you wave to them. They'll put one in your hand. It'll be marked to our passage Uh, This morning, for your convenience, if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Well, we're not going to tackle an entire chapter uh, today. You might be relieved uh, to know that, as we did last week, Uh, just a handful of verses at the beginning of Romans chapter 5. Paul writes, and he says, "'Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.'" through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice and hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. We do? Okay, he says it right here. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your Word, and we thank you that we need never uh, turn to it, uh, just us and a book, but able to turn to it, surrender to the author of the book, your Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would freshly fill us, Lord, freshly touch our minds and our hearts to receive just what You want each one of us individually and for us as a church to receive right from Your throne, from these words that are going to outlive the heavens and the earth, Lord. We want that personal engagement with You as we study Your Word, we pray for that this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's very important when we come here to chapter 5 to notice the very first word of verse 1, and it is the word, uh, therefore. One of the things that we know about uh, the word, therefore, is that when you see it in the Bible, you always ask yourself, what is it, therefore? Maybe one of the things you've um, noticed in life is that you never begin a conversation with another human being with the word, therefore, do you? Uh, you don't walk up in some kind of a gathering and uh, meet a person. Usually will say, you know, what's up or something like that, but you never walk up, look someone in the eye and say, therefore, because uh, they'll think you're a little bit odd as a result of it. Because the word therefore means that we've already spoken and laid out uh, something previous to it, and now we're about to uh, add to that. We've come into the middle of a thought progression and that's exactly what is happening here when we come uh, to chapter uh, 5 paul is telling us that he's continuing his thoughts he's continuing his arguments from uh, chapter 4 important to remember that uh, there were originally no chapter and verse uh, designations in in the bible when uh, paul wrote it i'm glad that they're there But chapter and verse divisions within the Bible didn't occur until uh, the 1500s. And so, Paul just writes this letter, and one thought, as any personal correspondence might be, is flowing uh, then uh, into the other. And so, Paul is uh, continuing his reasoning here, and he's not just continuing his reasoning from chapter 4, but he's continuing his reasoning from the beginning of the book. There are a lot of ways to look at the book of Romans in order to kind of keep a bird's-eye view of it and not get lost in the minutiae of it because it's such a deep and, and uh, uh, co- such a heavy content in terms of the book. And I'm thankful for uh, most of the, the outlines that I've read through the years and, and so forth, but the way to look at the book that helps me the most and makes it the most personal is to view the book of Romans as, a, as the uh, journey of an individual. And that makes it very personal for me. And so here you have in chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Romans a person just like you and me who discovers uh, from uh, God Himself that uh, we are in an unsaved and a, a condemned condition and we're made aware of that condition. In the eyes of God, and then in the latter uh, portion of chapter three, uh, there is that then god 's good news of forgiveness and how it is found uh, in Christ. We hear the gospel in the course uh, of our life, and then in chapter four, as the gospel is uh, finally explained to this person a little bit m- more fully, they become saved and By the time uh, you get into chapter five uh, here he says, therefore." Having been justified, uh, justification is in the past tense now. Related uh, to this individual, now they get into chapter five, and they've become born again by this point. And Paul begins to address them uh, and us in in that way. And in chapter five, they become aware of of the blessings of Christianity that go way beyond the marvel of of uh, simply and wonderfully being forgiven of our sins. And then in chapter 6, this person and this Christian then learns that God's plan of salvation not only involves the forgiveness of sins in terms of the past, but also in in the hope of heaven in terms of the future, but he also provides us with a salvation from the power of sin uh, presently and uh, a victorious Christian life. Then in chapter 7, there is this uh, attempt as this Christian is now… Uh, ignorant at this point concerning the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. They now attempt to live the Christian life that they see described in uh, the pages of Scripture in their own strength, and they fall miserably. And none of that is wasted because all of it prepares them then to learn uh, the great lesson of Romans chapter 8 in terms uh, of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit and his part in the Christian life. And then in chapters 9 through 11, This Christian then grows deeper in their understanding of the sovereignty and the ways of God. And finally, in chapters 12 through uh, 16, there is the continued growth now uh, into maturity by way of obeying God's Word, by way uh, of Christian service. And so, when we look at the book of Romans, it's been very uh, heavily theological up to this point, but you see, it's laying a foundation And now gives way to the tremendously practical uh, book uh, uh, that it is, the the very, very personal book that it is, as it speaks to our, our relationship. Uh, with the Lord. And so, all of this gives you an idea of what lies ahead uh, in our study of the book of Romans. Again, notice he says, therefore, and then those next uh, several words, having been justified, as I noted, by faith. And and again, from this point on, as Paul addresses in the book of Romans, he now assumes that his audience, so to speak, is saved, and he addresses them uh, as such. He speaks of our justification, that is, our salvation in the press, uh, past tense, having been justified, itself is in uh, the past tense, and he's assuming now that his reader, from this point forward, is someone who can look back in their life and uh, and uh, refer to a point in time where they have trusted in Jesus for as their Lord and as their Savior. <clears throat> Excuse me. And here in chapter 5, Paul begins to educate us as Christians uh, in the blessings of salvation that go far beyond uh, simply the forgiveness of sins. I'd be content with merely the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Beggars can't be choosers, as the old saying goes. But what God has provided for us as Christians uh, in His Son and in the salvation that He's provided to us goes way beyond the forgiveness of sins. And He begins to speak uh, about these things, and we'll take note of just four of them, these blessings this morning. The first blessing that He mentions in verse 1 is peace with uh, God. And as a Christian, you might remember That before uh, our surrender to God and the decision to trust in Jesus as uh, God's provision for our salvation, the Bible teaches that we were at war with God. Whether we were conscious of it or not uh, doesn't change the fact that we were at war uh, with Him. Uh, Each of us lived a life of open rebellion in His living room, in His universe. Uh, open rebellion to his authority, uh, to his position, to his commandments. Uh, take the worst and most rebellious teenager or a terrible two that you can think of, and all of us uh, eclipse them in our treatment of God, of his uh, sovereignty, of his greatness, of his lordship, of his uh, of his word, and we live life in rebellion to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We wage this private, personal war against Him, against His words, against His commandments, in our lifestyles, our decisions, in our self-will, and so forth. And in case any of this is a little bit hazy, is is a concept or a reality, allow me just to read Two or three verses from the Apostle Paul to kind of uh, give you uh, give us clarity on this as, as the Bible sees it Romans chapter eight verse seven we'll get to it uh, sometime in the future. Paul wrote. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And so we waged war at one time in our life against God, uh, and we did so in our thought life. We gave our minds over to anything and everything uh, but Him, uh, thoughts concerning Him or, or thoughts concerning His commandments. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, And you... Uh, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled. And so, we waged war against God and the life that we lived, contrary to His commandments. I remember it very well in terms of my own life. Ephesians chapter 2, And you, Paul writes, he that is God made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others." And we waged our war against God by continually uh, yielding ourselves uh, uh, gladly to the temptations of the devil that he would bring into our lives uh, and to do so uh, uh, to heed his voice and his proddings and leadings, uh, to do so over and over again as opposed to uh, the Holy Spirit. James adds concerning all of this, James 4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses, uh, that's a that's an attention-getter, isn't it? He said, "'Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God.'" We waged war against God when we chose friendship with the world, when we chose the world's acceptance and its applause at the expense of uh, uh, obedience to God and at the expense of seeking His pleasure, His approval, uh, and His applause uh, instead. But here Paul tells us, upon becoming a Christian, this war with God, it has now come to an end. And why has it come to an end? Because in trusting in Jesus, Uh, the way all conflict uh, comes to an end, so it does in the spiritual realm. It came to an end by us trusting in Jesus and surrendering to God, and surrendering to God on His terms. When we came to know the Lord, a great surrender occurred in all of that. Uh, My life, it it was… Christianity isn't a matter of uh, God, Jesus coming into the world in order to uh, die on the cross and be uh, raised again in order to make good people better, but to make dead people alive, spiritually dead people uh, alive. And so, when we trusted in the Lord, there was a surrender that Uh, That occurred there. And we surrendered to the only way that is provided in order for uh, this war to come to an end, and we surrender to God. And even more importantly, we surrender to God on His terms. What are His terms? By trusting in His Son and in His Savior. And in doing that, the war with God now uh, is uh, over. We've repented of our sins, repented of the life that we once lived, and now committed to living a life of surrender to him and obedience to him you think about what a tremendous weight is lifted off of a human life. Maybe you remember it when you became uh, born again. I mean, how much uh, lighter uh, steps became, how much lighter life became by virtue of having this conflict with God, this constant going against Him, going against His commandments, going against His, His ways, and all of that lifted off of us uh, when we were born again. Sometimes it's just great to stop. The, uh, what we're going to look at here this morning, for, for those of you who've walked with the Lord for a while, none of this is going to be a new revelation for you. Uh, but there's that, that constant uh, it, 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 uh, struggle that we want to be successful at, and, and that is to uh, never come under the curse of familiarity concerning things that are, uh, any one of them is so awesome as to make us uh, more wealthy than the richest person in the world. And what a wonderful thing it was in our lives uh, to come to the place that this war against God uh, came uh, to an end, to realize I'm no longer at war with God, I'm no longer engaged in a, a fight against Him, a battle against Him that no one can have any hope of winning, But now I'm on His side. Now I'm on the winning side. Now I'm going in His direction, living His way. I'm living life as He created it to be lived. And imagine, and and none of us has to imagine, not a single Christian has to imagine it, but imagine waging war against God all the way through life. Life is hard, this is a hard old place, this fallen world. If you're in a bubble, God bless you. I'm happy. I don't want to burst your bubble, but life is coming. This is a hard place to live. We're far away uh, from, from heaven. and. Uh, hard enough to live life in this fallen world without being at war with God on top of everything else, fighting His authority, fighting His ways. It's an awful way to live. The toll that it takes upon us is immense. And it's not till we become a Christian that we realize what's been lifted off of us by by virtue of becoming a Christian in this regard. Of course, Paul knew all about it, and he knew the misery of it, even though he was a deeply religious man at the time of his conversion. You remember on that road to Damascus when he was uh, at the site of his conversion, and the Lord Jesus spoke to him in in the midst of the conversation that they had together on that road. And Jesus said to him, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? And, uh, and, and to resist me, to resist my directing you in life, leading you in life. That's what an ox goad was in that culture. And then upon Jesus speaking this and all that was going on, Paul declared that he trembled and astonished and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And in that moment, he addresses Jesus as Lord. He becomes born again, and he surrenders to God, and his war against God was Over And a war against God can be equally waged uh, from the realm of debauchery or paganism uh, just as much from the realm of uh, religion and man-made traditions and man-made religions. But to think about how wonderful it is to wake up each morning as a Christian and to know that no matter what else that I'm facing in life, I don't have to worry about God. I don't have to wonder if he's for me or he's against me today, uh, to wake up knowing I'm on the right side of God, I have peace with God. His attitude toward me in this relationship is one of peace. He wants to be a source of peace in, in my life. He's at peace with me. And not only that, but as we see in the passage this morning, he wants me to know that 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 battle and that war is over, and how priceless uh, that is. And if you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, it's important to realize that until you trust in God's Son, until you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, uh, no matter how good a person you might be in all other areas, but the failure to do just that alone is to live in rebellion to God. It is to wage war against God. Every day that you live your life under your own oversight, your own uh, self-will as opposed to God who created you and to whom you belong, it is to live at war with God. And, uh, And the importance of realizing that and to realize what a weight will be lifted off of you in this regard in the day that you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of uh, of uh, sins. When peace with God happens in our lives, it spreads to peace into all of the other areas of our lives as well. There's a famous uh, saint by the name of Saint Augustine, and he wrote in this regard, he said uh, concerning in a prayer to God, "'You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in You.'" Look at the world. Look at your life if you're not a Christian yet. Look at all of the places everyone is searching for uh, peace, trying to hedge in this area and then put a little bit over here and then a little bit here in terms of relationships and in in terms of money and resources and and education or whatever uh, it might be, trying to achieve uh, peace in every uh, conceivable way. And yet the Bible tells us that the beginning, the start of peace within our lives must always begin, true peace, genuine peace, it must always begin by establishing peace with God, and beginning that relationship uh, with Him. Without a peace with God, we can never know peace in life. And it's one of the great blessings of being a a, a Christian and one of the many reasons you should become a Christian this morning. The second blessing that Paul mentions is our access to God as he speaks of it there in verse 2. Again, look with me, if you will, through whom, speaking of Jesus Christ. Uh, also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we uh, stand. Uh, so, the second blessing is access to God. It is acceptance by God. The Greek word that is used here in the word for the word access it speaks of the privilege of being able to approach or the privilege of being introduced to someone who is of royal or divine personage. It is to be, enter into the presence of uh, someone whose presence we're not worthy of, and someone of the highest rank. And what this is telling us is that our salvation has now given us the privilege of approaching God in personal relationship despite the infinite gap that exists between us and Him, the infinite gap that exists between uh, God and His creation, the Creator and His uh, creation, and and how it is that this salvation has given us the privilege of approaching God uh, on this level in a personal relationship. And how do you put it? uh, Give words to the wonder of that. here I am, look at me. I mean, of course you are. Uh, Some of you just started to again, but look at me. And this goofball kid born in Henderson, Nevada in 1955, and I have a relationship with God. I can approach God. I know god i 'm able to approach Him all day, every day, anytime I want, and to do so at his invitation i can 't get i can't even i can 't get my bank to return a phone call in a timely manner i can 't get access to all manner of people in life, and yet here is the access that 's been given to me and to you as a Christian. Uh, to God Almighty Himself. And as Paul gives consideration to it, I mean, he's, he's filled with awe uh, over it that we have complete access to God and we enjoy His full acceptance is what Paul is saying here. Uh, again, that we can appreach, uh, approach Him uh, and come into His presence through prayer. Anytime we like, middle of the night, middle of the day, driving, whatever we might uh, be doing, we can engage him in conversation, gain his undivided attention. Only God can do that. And then we can talk with him as long as we want. Have you ever been into a doctor's office or a lawyer's office or in some other professional's office or even in the presence of a friend? And you get the sense that you've got to say everything in three minutes or less because they're watching the clock. God never does that with us. He never hurries us or rushes us out of His presence. What an amazing thing it is to have this kind of access and this kind of acceptance uh, from Uh, God and to be able to approach Him and not feel intimidated in the least related to it, uh, but to be welcomed and warmly welcomed uh, as a child. And uh, I, I would ask you as a Christian, have you ever known God to refuse you access to Him? When you start to pray to Him, has He ever said, hold that thought for a moment? Or let me put you in the waiting room. I've got something more important to do at the moment. No, it, it, it never happens. He never does it. That's the wonder of this access that, that we have. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he uh, put it uh, all of it perfectly in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 when he said, "'Let us uh, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace "'that we may obtain mercy and grace.'" In uh, to help in time of need, and the invitation by God to boldly enter into His presence through uh, prayer, not a, a hesitation, not a second thought concerning it at all. And because of this mighty sacrifice of Jesus, this wonderful, priceless sacrifice uh, of Jesus, that this throne of God, that we would tremble before otherwise, Uh, You think that that scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz uh, is is, uh, fear on steroids? It's nothing like what we would be like before God Almighty without the blood of Christ upon our lives. And because of that blood, that throne has been turned into a throne of grace, the Bible says, from which in our time of need only grace and mercy uh, is poured out to us. What a wonderful, wonderful uh, thing. The Bible teacher, you know, in trying to give some kind of uh, depth or understanding to all of this is always at a loss to try and express the awesomeness of this access. And we're always forced to resort to, you know, imagine what it would be like to be ushered in before the President of the United States or some head of state in terms of some other country in the world and imagine what that would be like and then multiply at times uh, whatever. And in some, you know, to try and give some sense of appreciation uh, in terms of the wonder of what uh, is ours. And so, put that in your mind, and, and being, having this access to God is just like that, only a lot better, you know? So, I mean, put, uh, pity us uh, to try and put this into words, uh, to describe it. And it isn't, I think, until one day we arrive in heaven and we uh, see it all for ourselves that we'll be virtually undone. Uh, to realize the access that we had, who we had access to, no longer through a glass darkly, but now face to face, to see the glory of where we went uh, into His presence in terms uh, uh, of, uh, of prayer. And I think that even as Gentiles, we can understand uh, this. Gentiles, for the most part, uh, in this uh, room, uh, but certainly a Jew and under the old covenant, like Paul was, uh, this was just jaw-dropping uh, to to uh, think about this kind of uh, of access to, to uh, put our faith in Jesus, to begin a relationship with God and, to, to, and without a second thought to how awesome the access is at, at, at all, to think at any moment we can begin to praise Him, at any moment we can get, begin uh, to pray uh, uh, to Him. And uh, this is an awesome thing that is, that is ours and, uh, and sometimes we need a passage like this and, and in order to remind us of how awesome it is. Sometimes I think it even takes a bit of a study in the Old Testament to remind us how, how awesome a privilege this access is. Remember, it's Apostle Paul that is writing this uh, to us. And the Apostle Paul described himself as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he realized, here is an access to God that would have left the Old Testament saints absolutely stunned. Here you have an access to God, no more daily sacrifices, no more weekly sacrifices, no more monthly sacrifices, no more annual sacrifices, no more priests, no more high priests, no more court of the Gentiles, no more court of the women, no more even for the Jews, stopping short of the holy of holies, much less, uh, or the holy place, much less the holy of holies. And all of this access solely on the basis of grace. Again, uh, too much, much mind-boggling uh, to realize that it's not just words on a page, but that it's our daily reality. And then third, uh, the third blessing that Paul mentions in verse, uh, the latter part of verse 2 is the hope of the glory of God, as he re- declares, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And he's talking about the joy that comes with the confidence that one day, as Christians. Each of us are going to stand in. We are going to participate in the very glory of heaven. And and, as the word is used around us and the world all around us, the word hope is uh, used to describe things that we desire to happen in our life, but we really have no confidence that it will. We just hope that that's going to happen. That's never how the word hope is used in the Bible. The word hope as it's used in the Bible and as it's used right here it is to describe something that is sure. It's only a hope because it hasn't happened yet. But there's no casting doubt upon the assurance of the fact that we will one day stand in the glory of that scene. And how wonderful it is as Christians that we don't have to spend a moment's time wondering about what is going to happen to us at the moment of death, We don't have to spend a moment of time uh, in our life wondering whether we will spend our eternity in the perfection of heaven. I never give that a second thought as a Christian, not because of the life that I'm living or because I deserve it, but because of the greatness of the sacrifice that has made it possible. And Paul didn't give it a second thought at all, and he doesn't want any of us to do uh, that either. As Christians, we will one day be in that glory. Jesus himself declared in John chapter 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will return again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Think about in terms of the worries of life. And I mean, people are getting crushed under the worries of life. But think about uh, how big of a thing it is to have uh, this removed from our worry list. Wondering what's going to happen to me at death? What's going to happen to me uh, in eternity? Where am I going to be for eternity? And Paul wants it lifted off of our uh, list of any kind of concern. In fact, later in the book of Romans, Paul's going to reveal to us that our salvation is so sure in Jesus that God already sees us glorified and in heaven. Uh, is he in Romans chapter 8 verse 30, moreover whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. To be justified is to already be glorified. He already sees us in that heavenly uh, scene. And you think about these three blessings as we've looked at them. And all each of them covering uh, some magnificent portion of our life. Uh, The peace with God, it covers our past. The access and the acceptance uh, concerning God covers our present. Uh, Hope in the glory of God covers our future. There are blessings in all directions that are ours as a Christian, uh, way beyond even the forgiveness of sins. We close finally with the fourth blessing in verses 3 through 5 that Paul uh, lists. And this fourth blessing is an interesting one. And essentially, it is the blessing of being able to live life with the confidence that none of the hardships that we ever will face in life as Christians will ever be wasted, but that God will always use those circumstances and those difficulties to fashion our godly character and then also to prepare us uh, and deepen our hope uh, for heaven. You notice in verse 5, he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. And, uh, this is a fun old line to read uh, and to just allow it to impact the privacy of our own heart and uh, to say, do I do that? Uh, I'll keep uh, my own confession before God to myself, thank you, and I give you the freedom to do the same. But Paul here, he's so excited, he declares uh, that not only that, not only do we have all of these things, but we also glory uh, in tribulation. And you can almost say, Paul, well, wait a second, I think you're getting a little carried away here. Two words are very important to notice in in the passage. The word tribulation in the original language is, uh, in Greek, is thlipsis, and it literally means pressure and it was used of, of extraordinary pressure. That's how the word was used in the ancient world, uh, the crushing of a grape until all of the juice, not a part of it, all of the juice was extracted uh, from it. It spoke of the, the uh, threshing and, uh, or the uh, uh, crushing of, of the wheat grain in the threshing process, where this great log with these great spikes that would be uh, driven into it, and it would be rolled over and over against, over the wheat in order to break the chaff off of uh, the meat uh, of the wheat. The word was also used in the ancient world Uh, of uh, uh, a crushing that involved uh, a man being laid on his back, uh, being uh, tried for something to solicit a confession from him. A great board would be put across his chest and then a great uh, rock or boulder would then be placed upon that wood, and there would be this great pressure that that would be put down upon his chest. He would have no ability uh, to inhale against that pressure, and and so he would slowly uh, suffocate. He would either give a confession or he would uh, die under the weight uh, of, uh, of the pressure. And so, it speaks of the kind of trial in life Uh, That crushes you. It's the kind of trial in life, the one or two or five or ten that we face in life, where we look at it and in a moment in time in the midst of it, we say, I will not survive this. I will not survive this trial. I will not survive this tribulation. That's the depth of trial that Paul is talking about. Uh, uh, here, the kind of trial that crushes you. The word glory that he uses there means to boast or to brag in or to rejoice in this kind of a trial or difficulty in our life, to which we say, "Say what? But, but he goes on to tell us why. And to make sense of, uh, of this, we have to notice two very important things. First of all, for us as Christians, that we are not promised exemption uh, from tribulation, not even from this kind of tribulation in life. Uh, Jesus himself spoke, and he said, These things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you will have thalipsis, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I will overrule it for my purposes in your life. The second thing, and this is vital to understand here, notice that word knowing in verse uh, 3. We can glory in these kind of tribulations only if we know something about them. And what we are to know about them, he tells us, is this, that tribulation in our lives produces something. I like it in the old King James, it says it works something. It's working something. It's producing something uh, within our lives, something priceless within us. Again, we face uh, these kind of tribulations with the confidence that God will never allow them to be wasted, but that He will always use them to develop a depth of godly character that we would never otherwise know in life, and also uh, a hope within our lives that we would never otherwise know. He will work it together for good. And Paul lists the progression for us here in terms of how he… how… Uh, these things are working. First, he tells us in verse three that tribulation produces uh, perseverance. The word perseverance means uh, it means endurance. It means steadfastness. It's the Greek word hupomone. It's a nice Italian word, but it's it's not. It's actually a Greek word. But the word means endurance. It means a steadfast endurance. And as we continue to walk with God, Paul is saying, through these kind of trials, what happens is we develop a spiritual, a mental, and emotional steadfastness, a spiritual and emotional, a mental stability that we would never otherwise know. Uh, every endurance athlete—I mean, the Olympics are coming now in in Seoul, right around the corner—but every endurance athlete understands something about this long-distance conditioning. It requires endurance. It requires uh, stamina, which requires us then pushing beyond the point where we want to stop our conditioning, and we want to stop out of uh, self-preservation. But God allows these kind of trials to come into our life, and we don't have control over stopping them when we want to stop them, not even for our own uh, 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 self-preservation, These trials in life, uh, they force us to grow in a way that we would never choose for ourselves, no matter what the reward uh, might be on the other end of it. They're kind of like the coach who pushes you to do what you would never demand of yourself and become the athlete you would never otherwise become under your own direction but we'll only become uh, that athlete under a coach like this. And every good coach does it. And spiritually speaking, here we are, we hit a major trial for the first time perhaps in our lives, a trial of this magnitude, uh, whatever that might be. And when we hit that trial, it rocks us. It shakes our faith. It makes us unsteady. For a moment. Uh, the trial is so great, and, and, but we keep on running with the Lord spiritually. And then as we do that, and uh, we come through that trial, then that same trial comes into our life later on, and it no longer has that debilitating effect. It no longer produces uh, an unsteadiness in us spiritually because something was built into our lives in terms of perseverance the first time that we faced it. And now we face the same trial or the same kind of trial now with a steadfastness and a spiritual steadiness that we would never otherwise know apart from this kind of difficulty uh, within, uh, within our life. You take the veteran of any hard circumstance and that veteran then carries something very invaluable with them into the rest of their life. It changes them, and it changes them profoundly uh, for good. Uh, You take the woman who's a veteran of childbirth, and now as a veteran of the first birth, she now goes into the second and third births a very different person Uh, than the first birth. You take a man uh, in the military, and he's gone into combat for the first time, Uh, and then uh, he continues through that combat without quitting, and then he will become something very different And something very invaluable has been built into his life now as a result of it. And he is equipped now uh, to face all of the battles that will follow after that with a steadiness and a steadfastness that he would not otherwise know. And it's all true of the Christian life. Without tribulation, we would never develop perseverance for the simple reason is that we would never need it. It's the fact that God puts us in circumstances where we need perseverance to survive that we develop it, and it's a great character. The second character, uh, the the second thing that happens in the progression, verse 4, is that endurance then uh, produces character within our lives. And this is talking about godly character. This is talking about proven character, uh, mature character, tribulation, Coupled with endurance, it produces a real change within our life. It produces a a Christian who is no longer acting or pretending in terms of our spirituality, but it is producing genuine character that's described in the Bible, and it's producing it within our lives. And it is trials uh, that develop that character. And, and, and what uh, the trials do in terms of character is the trials as we endure them, it takes all of these great truths that we know from the Bible, all of these things that we know about God within our head, and then it drops them the, the, the biggest 18 inches in a Christian's life It drops them from merely being something that we recognize as a truth within our mind to now something that is a truth within our heart and within our daily lives. It becomes a part of our actual uh, character to where the truth of God becomes a, a, a reality And uh, it's something that is woven into our character to where uh, the, the truth of God, when we read the Bible or we hear a sermon and somebody preaches something, or we read it within the Word, we recognize. A verse as a… we don't just recognize the verse as just a verse from the Bible, but we now recognize that verse as a reality within our own lives. This is when you listen to a sermon, or you listen to worship, uh, being led in worship, or you read the Word of God and you read something, and then you can't uh, go by it without saying amen or hallelujah, because it's not just something we know within our minds. We know it from our very lives, the character that's been developed within our lives. And then third and finally, character produces hope within our lives as he describes it there in verse 4. And hope is uh, uh, confident expectation, and that's what it, how it's used within the Bible as I mentioned. In other words, when by the grace of God we persevere through the tribulation, and then we see the character that God has developed in us uh, through all of it. We come to really, 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 really realize and believe that He is greater than any tribulation in our lives. We develop that kind of a history with God, and we realize that there is nothing in this world that can hinder this glorious sequence occurring in our lives for the rest of our lives. We realize that no matter what tribulation comes into my life, God is going to take it into his hands, and he is going to make sure that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And it is only because we see him do this over and over and over in our life, and we have it as a part of our past history, that we then have the confidence when we face the new things that we're going to face in life, the new tribulations, the new trials that we think are going to be the death of us, that we look at it, and we look at those trials now with a hope with a confidence that, no, this will not kill me, but that this will accomplish within my life what all of the other trials that I thought would be the death of me accomplished uh, as well. Paul put it perfectly in writing to the church at Philippi, and he said, being confident of this very thing, that he, that is God, who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul declares that this hope is a hope that will never disappoint. In other words, after the tribulation has done its work in our lives, and by the Holy Spirit in developing perseverance and godly character and a consciousness of the love of God for us in all of it, then what happens to us And when we get on the other side of the trial, is we then say to ourselves, with no hypocrisy, no uh, you know phony nonsense spirituality, but we can honestly say concerning the tribulation, that we wouldn't trade that trial for anything, because of all that we have learned in the tribulation, and the person that we have become as a result of the tribulation. And you hear it over and over again uh, from people who've been through these kind of circumstances. Doubtless, most of you have, have said it in your own life as well, where a person goes through something like this, some tribulation, and then you'll hear them say, that was very, very hard, harder than I could ever put into words. But I would go through it all over again because of what I learned between God and me in the midst of that tribulation. What I learned is a result. And we say that, and we're able to say that at the end of tribulations because of the love of God poured out upon us by the Holy Spirit within us throughout the tribulation. And so here this is Paul begins his description of the Christian life and all of the blessings that are ours, far beyond the forgiveness of sins. And here he speaks about peace with God, priceless. Access to God, priceless. Confidence of heaven, day in and day out, every waking moment, priceless. And then the confidence that we uniquely have as Christians in the midst of all of the tribulations and difficulties of life. How rich we are. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Before we do if you're not a Christian yet here this morning, I want you to know that there's going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to pray with you to begin this relationship with God and all of the blessings that are found in it. We have just scratched the surface this morning, by the way, and it's all there waiting for you to be received as a gift from God this morning. Take advantage of the opportunity. And then if you have any need for prayer within your life this morning that you'd like someone to lift up with you to the Lord, they'd love to pray for you. If you're new and you're visiting with us this morning and you just want to say hi to someone and start to establish relationship or contact or any questions that you might have, these same men and women would uh, love to talk with you as well. Let's pray together now. Lord, what would it, it to to just think about even one of these things, and and to absorb them in terms of <clears throat> excuse me, taking a walk and thinking about how far-reaching uh, the glory and the pricelessness of the reality of each one of these things are in our life. We are humbled, Lord. We are humbled by Your love. We are humbled by the sacrifice of Your Son that has um, opened up all of these blessings uh, into our lives, Lord. We let You know that we are so grateful from this place this morning for the privilege of being a Christian and the privilege of being your children. And we bless you this morning, not only with our words and our lips, Lord, but from our hearts for how good you have been to us in Christ Jesus. And we bless you in his name, amen. Paige, would you close us?